Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the Locked On Canadians podcast. We are your daily Montreal Canadiens podcast, and we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day, whether you like it or not. I am, of course, one of your hosts. I am Scott Matlin. I am joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Sabat. Laura, how are you on this wonderful Sunday evening? I'm doing really well, and I'm really excited to get into the podcast this week. Yeah, we actually have, we're ending after I yelled and screamed and threw a tantrum last week. We have better news coming into the start of this week. The Canadians won a game in which they blew a three-goal lead in, (laughs) which actually leads us to naming the Lockdown Canadians Player of the Week. And Laura and I were both in agreement on this with the overtime winner, and because his Son is the most adorable, mic'd-up guest ever. Jeff Petrie is the Lockdown Canadians Player of the Week. He had a big overtime winner against the Carolina Hurricanes on a breakaway, no for no, uh, no less. And I think it goes to show that one, it's probably good they didn't trade Jeff Petrie at the deadline, or they probably would have lost in overtime and blown another three-goal lead and made me extremely upset. <laughs> Please never trade Jeff Petrie. Yes, it's he is the anchor behind Shea Weber's slightly larger, more bearded anchor, I I guess. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that, but... And as it is Monday, it is also time to name our Lockdown Canadians Listener of the Week. And if you want to be Listener of the Week, uh, send us emails at LockdownCanadians at gmail.com. Send questions or whatever to the Twitter account at LO underscore Canadians or to Laura and myself on Twitter. Uh, any interaction means a ton to us, and that's how we're naming our Listener of the Week. And Laura, who do we have this week? So this week we are naming Brian from Vermont, our Listener of the Week, because he sent us an, e- uh, an email, and it was titled Questions for the Mailbag, but I'd like to read it because there's some interesting discussion points in here. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. He says, hi there, my family and I live in northern Vermont and we're new fans of the Habs this year. My wife and I went up to Montreal in the fall and went to the Leafs game where the Habs won 5-2. We were instant fans. I found your podcast a few months back and have been listening every day since. Thank you so much. This is my first time writing to you all, though, and I have a few mailback questions slash suggestions, which I just want to point out we love content suggestions and Ryan's got one that we're going to do something fun with, but let's start. So. His first question is, maybe I'll read through the questions, Scott, and then we'll, we'll address them after I'm done with the email. Okay. The first question is, you both talk quite a bit about how the Rocket are doing and how they could make a playoff run. As a relatively new fan to hockey, I'm wondering if the min- minor leagues matter more in hockey than they do in other professional sports. In baseball, for instance, no one cares about how the AAA team does, but you all are worried about calling a guy up to the Habs and hurting Laval. I'm wondering why that is or what I'm missing. Question two. Can you all explain a little bit more when you reference things that occurred in the past? I remember when you talked about someone sliding into or hurting Price in the playoffs a few years back. If you could remember that not everyone has been a lifelong fan but wants to know more about the history, that would be great. It could even be a new segment, This Day in Habs History, and talk about something important that occurred. I, for one, would love it. And three, I was rooting hard for the Habs to trade some combination of Tatar, Petri, Domi. I really like Tatar and think he's a very solid forward. 
Petrie and Domi both have left me less than impressed. They both seem to make so many mistakes. If you could go back and trade one of these three guys, who would you trade to whom and for whom? And he says he's really enjoying the show. Uh, and actually, uh, he and his family went to the game on Saturday night against the Canes and brought their ki- kids. Well, at he least said, they got least... a good game to go to for once. <laughs> right. But, but in the email, he says, at least for a shirt price, we'll start since he starts every game. Oh. Oh. And then oh. he says, my youngest is hoping to get some Canadian slippers. So, Brian, I would like you to tell us if she did get the slippers. There, There's a bunch of cute stuff at the store. Actually, there was a, a, a chuk that I wanted. It had, like, hearts on it and a palm. But I didn't want to spend the money. Uh, I already have enough hats. <laughs> so, but they do have some cute stuff. Uh, and so I'm hoping to know, uh, if your daughter did actually get the slippers. So Brian is our listener of the week. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for listening to us. I know you're a new Habs fan and the fact that you did find us and are listening to us, it means so much to both of us. We, we are a fairly new podcast, but we've been working really hard. And the one thing that I want to say is that like one of the things that we've been doing a lot is because we do the Habs content every day and we sort of cover the games right after or any news on the day, the, the following day is I think sometimes we do lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of newer fans in our audience. And so I really like the suggestion that you have. And what I wanted to do actually was, first of all, I'm going to send you the gifts of the actual specific incident you were talking about. So I think it was 2014 in in the playoffs. The Canadians had made the conference final against the New York Rangers. They seemed poised to make the actual final. And then Chris Kreider of the New York Rangers launched himself into Carey Price. I don't care what anyone says. He did it on purpose. Uh, injured Carey Price and the Canadians lost the series and were out of the playoffs. It was, you know, it was our chance to see a Stanley Cup final in Montreal after so many years. It was devastating to me. I will never forgive him. But a couple of years later, Carey Price got his own back. So what I'm going to do, Brian, is after this episode airs, I'm going to email you a link to Carey Price kicking Kreider's ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really glad you brought it up because, you know, I got a chance to relive that moment. Uh, and I think that there's like there's videos of it set to music. Uh, but because of this, like because I was so excited to relive this. I, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to do a lot more of this, obviously, once the Canadians are out of the playoffs. And we've got like a little, we can be a little bit more flexible with content, not necessarily dependent on the news and what's going on. But we do want to do major moments in Canadians uh, history or fandom. And we are going to open it up as well. So if you have any suggestions uh, for all our, you know, our longtime Canadians fans, if you're sitting around thinking like, what is something that I would want new fans to know about a moment, please tell us. You can hit us up on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at lockdowncanadians at gmail.com, just like Brian did, and just say, like, what would you want us to cover? And we'll take our segments or episodes, and we will cover major moments that we want new fans or casual fans to know about, about the Canadians. Like, not just the history, but also the fandom. Like, what's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unique to us, but it's something enjoyable. I was kind of thinking about maybe the Yanni Nanima meme. Uh, that's something that we can, <laughs> we can spend a little bit more time on because unless you were specifically a Habs fan in like, you know, 2010 or whatever, when this was going around the internet, you probably missed it. So things like that. Like if you can think of anything like that, that you would want to share with a new Habs fan, uh, please, please let us know. And, uh, and, and we would love to feature it on the show. 
So with regards to the Laval question, Scott, what do you think? I think it's because unlike baseball, where you have so many players on a given roster that, you know, you have how many pitchers and how many, you know, players that you rotate through a lineup regularly, depending on the situation, hockey doesn't have that same depth. And because they are the closest line is that you can sign, you know, veterans of any kind in baseball. There's so many baseball players in hockey, the pool's a little bit thinner, and because of the way hockey development works, there isn't a single-A, double-A into triple-A like there is in baseball. It's you have the triple-A team, you know, the AHL team. They are your most direct players. If your starting goalie gets injured, your next goalie is coming directly from the AHL. You don't have a, you know, other pitcher in the bullpen that you can slide into their spot if your starting center gets injured, you're calling someone up to fill in a spot in the lineup and shift people around. You don't have another outfielder back there. And because it is so directly related, and we're seeing it more with teams like Toronto and Tampa Bay that use their AHL affiliate to build up these players that they've drafted or signed as undrafted free agents, it becomes so much more crucial than we see in other sports that the team does well and is getting results because Montreal went so many years and I'm sure you've heard us talk about it that their previous regime before Joel Bouchard got there was not good for developing players. So, and speaking of developing players and the AHL and a whole bunch of other things, there was a very big interview with Mark Bergevin and La Presse that came out this weekend and in our next segment, we're going to touch on some of the big points that Matthias Brunet hit on in his interview with Mark Bergevin, and we're getting that coming up next. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But what you may not know is that Locked On Canadians is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canadians fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, and not just any podcast listener, a locked-on podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canadians fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this locked-on podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. The Canadians have gotten a lot of... Interesting prospect news in the past couple days. Uh, going into Friday, uh, Jesse Yulinen from Finland, one of their prospects, plays for the Lati Pelicans over in uh, Liga, which is the Finnish Hockey League, was signed a loan transfer agreement. His season is not over in Finland, but the team is actually in the process of loaning him to the Laval Rocket of the AHL to finish out the year because the Pelicans are very far out of the playoff race, and it makes sense to give him the opportunity to join the Rocket and immediately get put into a role that might help him grow a little bit further. He might be playing very well in Finland, but the team around him isn't there to help support that growth, and the Rocket, in the midst of a deep playoff hunt, are now going to be able to acquire his services. And on Friday night when I spoke to Joel Bouchard, 
he basically said, I officially can't say anything. But then he more or less just confirmed it with how excited he was talking about the kind of player that Yolanden is. And I think that's a big thing because there have been call-ups from the Rocket to the NHL level because players have been injured and, you know, just out of the lineup. So the Rocket are down their entire top line. Uh, Evans and Houdon are in the NHL right now. And Kotkaniemi was sick all weekend. And behind that, they're missing two of their top four defensemen and Xavier Ouellette and Carl Alsner, who are on recall because Victor Mete is done for the year and they needed that added depth to the team. So adding a young, exciting winger to this team is a huge step forward for the Rocket. And then going into the weekend, Matthias Brunet of La Presse sat down with Mark Bergevin and Bergevin dropped quite a few. Uh, he talked about everything, you know, and I mean everything going back over his tenure, but he dropped a few big notes about what he expects from some of the prospects. And for Alexander Romanov, he and many people in the organization expect him to push for an NHL spot next year. And that he thinks Cole Caulfield might be better off going back to Wisconsin for another year to develop and help the team. And if not there, he thinks he's going to head directly to the AHL first and he's not penciling him in for an NHL spot. And then also mentioned that Jordan Harris could very well be turning pro sooner rather than later. And Harris was the player, he's kind of the forgotten defenseman in the system, that he scored the overtime winner in the Beanpot for Northeastern and has been a big part of their defense uh, this past couple years. And Laura, I'm curious your thoughts on, Bergevin was very open about where he thinks Caulfield and Romanov are going to be. Do you think he's just trying to manage expectations for these players or... Is this really what the exact plan is going to be? I think it's not just managing fan expectations, but also managing the players themselves, their expectations, as well as the organization's expectations. Because we, we, you know, we just talked about it. Cole Caulfield is an extremely talented player, but he's also still very young. He's a freshman. Like his accomplishments are happening as a freshman, right? So that's definitely something that this player is going to need time to grow, to grow into even his size. He's that young. So I feel like even at the beginning of this year, we talked a lot about Canadians fans penciling him in into the lineup for this year. If the, if the Canadians were to make the playoffs, I think that's a little bit dangerous, not because I, I think that every player um, needs to, you know, needs to play in the AHL for years or whatever. I don't think that, but I think specifically with, with Cole Caulfield's readiness if the organization is saying they are not penciling him into the Canadians lineup next year, I think that's a huge sign. That's not to say he's not a bad player. It's not to say he's not completely promising, but it just means that they want him to be a little bit more ready. And you have to remember that the sooner he turns pro, the sooner he, he eats up his RFA years and his UFA, you know, and he hits UFA. So they, they probably don't want to waste his eligibility until he's completely ready. I think another thing is that they want to see what the core is going to look like with some of the younger players that are going to be graduating both in within the Canadians lineup and to the Canadians lineup next year, assuming all, all goes uh, according to plan. So I think rushing him is more of a function of not wasting him more than anything else. And as, as for Alexander Romanov, I think it very much is a managing expectations because this is a player that the organization is clearly excited about. There have been repeated instances of Mark Bergevin talking about bringing him over to North America next year over the course of the season from the beginning and then mid-season 
you know, with the World Juniors and stuff like that. So he's it's talked a lot. He's talked a lot about bringing him here. And because the Canadians have so many struggles on defense, I think that the temptation is there for fans and the organization to look at this player as somebody who's going to be the savior. And we just need to like be mindful of the fact that he's still a young player and as promising as he might look on European ice, in the KHL, in the World Juniors, there's still going to be an adjustment period when he comes here. So I think that it, it's very important for us to also just manage our expectations ourselves because if he comes here and he struggles for the first few weeks or like 10 games, doesn't mean he's a bust, doesn't mean it's a mistake. It just means that he still needs more time to develop. So I think what the plan should probably be is, is, is what he's saying it is, is to bring, is to bring Romanov over, see how, see how it works. He's, he's expected to challenge for an NHL spot. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in an NHL spot. He might be in the NHL next year. As for Cole Caulfield, to take his time, whether he stays at Wisconsin or tries to come to Montreal, ends up in Laval. Either way, I think that that, that is a smart and sensible plan as little patience as we have as a fan base, I think that that's the best thing to do because the Canadians are also still working on their developing skills. You know, um, as we, as you talked about in the first, uh, first segment, Laval was a disaster for so long when it was not Laval, <laughs> um, that they, they also need to work on being better at developing as an organization. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it sort of helps both sides in terms of player development. And I think with Caulfield and Romanov, we've been saying this a lot, we know that they have NHL-level talent, but we don't know if they are better than the talent that is there right now. And why try and jam them into the lineup and make it work when maybe it's just more natural to let them do it, you know, by going to the AHL first in the case of someone like Caulfield and bringing Romanov along slowly and doing all these things. And the fact that Bergevin immediately mentioned the Rocket is they're dedicated to turning this team into something. There's been so much long, it was such a long time that they just accepted mediocrity at the AHL level that they went, well, the NHL team is winning. Well, guess what? The NHL team isn't really winning anymore. So now you have to get that fresh blood flowing through there. And Bouchard with a lineup that he had one veteran by AHL rule standards on Friday night in Rochester. One. That's a very young lineup. That's a very cobbled together lineup. And they played a hell of a game. And adding guys like Caulfield to that or someone like Matthias Norlinder or Jesse Yolanen in the future is such a big thing. It's giving him more tools to work with and to develop and to help get them ready for what the professional game is. Because it's not just on ice. He has these guys, you know, well above, you know, their level. They're mature on and off the ice doing what they need to. And we've seen he's not afraid to make it known when players aren't doing what they need to. And it's a great spot for someone like Caulfield to come in and learn the professional game. And maybe we it all ends up, you know, different. That Caulfield comes into camp next year and he's ready to play pro and he just lights up the preseason like Nick Suzuki did, you know? It it's all a crapshoot, but the fact that there seems to be a plan in place for these players is probably a good thing as they head into the future. And speaking of the future, 
there are some big name free agents coming up in Montreal and we have another, we're going to take a look at an article from the athletic this weekend talking about how Chris Kreider curse and spit on his name could be related to Brendan Gallagher and how that affects the Canadians going forward. And we'll get to that in our next segment. We're back with our final segment and we want to touch on something that Arpin Basu wrote for the athletic after this weekend that kind of ties into the Canadians future, but not related to their prospects, but more their, you know, core pieces right now in terms of players like Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher and Philip Deneau. And this also kind of ties into a question that Brian from Vermont sent in. And Laura, what was Brian's question again? It's, it was, I was rooting hard for the Habs to trade some combination of Tatar, Petrie, Domi. I really like Tatar and I think he's a very solid forward. Petrie and Domi have both have left me less than impressed. They both seem to make so many mistakes. If you could go back and trade one of those three guys, who would you trade to whom and for who? So I feel like that is definitely going to come. It didn't happen uh, at the trade deadline. This is going to come up in the offseason, though. Yeah, it's Tatar and Petrie, depending on how this season ends for the Canadians, are going to be thrown in every possible trade thing. And Max Domi's been getting reference since the, you know, before the trade deadline. And I honestly don't, I don't see it. I, if they didn't trade them at this deadline, I don't see it happening going into next year, unless someone takes a huge leap forward on defense or in the forward group. And right now I haven't seen that quite yet. Unless someone takes that Nick Suzuki like leap, I don't see them moving into these pieces uh, going into that. And I think what's most interesting and on a lot of Canadians fans mind, because it kind of snuck up on a lot of us is that Brendan Gallagher is a free agent, not this summer, but next summer. And it's very unlikely that he signs another team friendly deal. Like the one he got from Mark Bergevin that he was paid $3.75 million a year over, I think it was six years. And that was incredible value. And Arpin Basu wrote in The Athletic that Gallagher looked and was very approving of what Chris Kreider's new deal is. And we look at their roles on their team, except for Brendan Gallagher's not a goalie-injuring piece of crap, that... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he's not the spawn of Satan. <laughs> column A, column B, right? Um, they're both key pieces that have been featured in this offense, injuries or not, for so long that what does Gallagher get a deal kind of like Kreider's is? And I'm a big fan of what Chris Kreider's deal was. I'm expect I was expecting that to be much much worse. I believe he got six million over set per set every year for seven years or something like that. I think Canadians fans would be absolutely ecstatic to see that deal for Brendan Gallagher, who's earned it with multiple 30-goal seasons, and he's become the beating heart of the Canadians. He always kind of was, but he's come into the forefront here, and I think that is probably one of Bergevin's biggest things going into this offseason is trying to negotiate Brendan Gallagher's contract in addition to Petrie and then even Philip Denone. We'll touch on him in a second as well. Um, I think it was Kyle, uh, from the Locked on Sharks podcast that you can also find wherever you get our podcasts. And he said, Brendan Gallagher is the most efficient goal scorer 
in the NHL. And I don't know if he was referring to height or minutes played, but maybe it's both. I mean, I would be shocked. It's Gallagher is one of the best high danger scoring chance creating machines in the NHL. And I know Mark Dumont loves to point this out that everyone's like, Brendan Gallagher's a third liner. I'm like, if Brendan Gallagher is a third liner on your team, you have a very deep team or a very stupid coach. It, there is no, <laughs> there are no two ways around that. And I, I have no doubt that Gallagher is getting re-signed. There's, it would be worse than the Subban trade for him to be let go to free agency. Whoever the GM, and if it's Mark Bergevin, would not make it out of the Bell Center without a mob forming first. The bigger thing in the future is, what do they do with Philip Deno, who is quite possibly Mark Bergevin's best trade ever when they got him for Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman and a pick that turned into Alexander Romanov, who we've already talked about. And I believe it was said that, you know, they think in the organization eventually – Guys like Ryan Paling and Kotkaniemi and Suzuki and some of these other players coming up can replace Dano in the lineup. But it's like we mentioned in the previous segment, none of them are better than what Dano is right now. And Dano's a really freaking good center right now. He should be getting Selkie talk and he got some votes last year and he should definitely be getting them again this year. I think that's the, that's the thing. So it depends on what identity you think your team should have. Because he's a defensive forward in my mind. He's uh, obviously the top line center, uh, depending on, 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 on how everyone's doing. But his role on the team is absolutely crucial. Like, he's two-way. He's as two-way as it gets on this team specifically. And, you know, when, when you mention Nick Suzuki specifically, yes, he's also a two-way player. He's also kind of, like, I feel like he's projected to replace Dano. But that doesn't mean Dano is going to be useless. I guess the question with Dano is going to be what else is available to him? Like what other teams come calling? What other roles that they would they want him to play on their own teams? Because I don't think that he's going to sit there and go, okay, it's okay for you to tell me my role is going to diminish and you're going to pay me less money because of it. But if he's looking realistically and if there's no team that needs him to like play a top line role, and to give to pay him like a top liner, I feel like you can sort of sell him on a contextual contract, but you do have to move pieces out before you do that. And that's where I guess somebody like a Max Domi comes in. It's, they have to think about whether or not Max Domi is the one that they need, I feel. Or Thomas Tatar, because Thomas Tatar is getting older. Yeah, it's such a difficult, it's not an easy field to, you know, weave your way through, but I look at this team right now, we look at Kotkaniemi, we thought he was going to take a step forward after a very good rookie season, and he didn't through whatever various reasons, and he's finding his game in the AHL now. People expected Ryan Palin to be an NHLer this year, and then he's battled injuries and inconsistencies, and even he admits that. Like When I talked to him on Friday, he broke his stick on a breakaway 10 seconds into a game and immediately started laughing about it in our interview, because he went, that's how my season's been. You can never plan for how things are going to go. Your best played plans might be next year, Jesperi Kotkaniemi is our 2C, Philip Deneau is our 1C, Nick Suzuki is here, and Jake Evans is here. You cannot plan for injuries or things happening. And I think having a safety blanket like Philip Deneau, who's good for, you know, 40 to possibly 50 points, heavy defensive minutes, even as he gets older and same with Tatar, 
if you have to move them down the lineup to promote younger guys who might be playing better, but the other players are still playing well, you're creating a team that has true NHL depth to it. Someone like Thomas Tatar on your third line in the modern NHL would be a luxury. I mean, the Canadians don't have that now, but in the future, if all things go well, they very well could if they choose to re-sign him. Just like having Jeff Petrie as a defenseman behind Shea Weber is a huge luxury, they could have that in someone like Kale Fleury or Josh Brook as well. That's a rarity in the NHL, and I think they have to keep Deno for you know at least a couple years. I think he might get like a two- or three-year deal most after his next contract expires just because they need that safety blanket. And if Deno is your middle six, bottom six center, you're doing pretty well for yourself as a team. That means your prospects are so good that they're forcing someone who can put up Selkie-like performances down the lineup like that. But with so much else in hockey, it's we have to wait and see what the future holds. Who do they draft? Who do they sign in free agency? Who do they trade for? What does Mark Bergevin have up his sleeve? And quite frankly, none of us really know right now. I was going to say, I was I was imagining a future just when you said it with uh, the Philip Deno. I was going to say with Selkie, with Philip Deno and Thomas Tatar on your third line. Imagine how good your team is to have that. Yeah, it's it's a luxury. It's a great thing to have. It's like the Maple Leafs getting to roll out before he got, you know, traded to Colorado when they could roll out John Tavares, Austin Matthews, and Nazem Kadri as a 1-2-3. It's almost unfair. And the Canadians, maybe not at that same level, but can match with younger depth and exciting players that they finally started developing on their own. I mean, Philip Deneau was a Chicago draft pick, but I'm going to go ahead and give Montreal the credit for, you know, developing into what he is now. But it'll be interesting to see what Mark Bergevin does. I expect to see Gallagher sign a new deal almost immediately this summer, and I think it'll look similar to the Kreider deal, and I think that's a good thing for the Canadians to keep him in this lineup and as part of this team for as long as possible. As for Tatar and everyone else, it's very much a wait and see. It all depends on... What does the team want to do with the draft? What does the team want to do in free agency? How much money do they need to free up? We may see some of these guys get signed for a deal that makes them eligible for the expansion draft, and they could be that expansion fodder where it's like, we don't want to give you up for nothing, or we don't want to just give you up, but we're going to have to eventually anyways, and this seems like the best way to make everyone happy. But until then, really nothing that we're going to know, or nothing that we can know anyways. But... That also is going to bring an end to this episode uh, for your Monday listening. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. You're going to want to tune in to Tuesday because we have Dan Saracini of Lighthouse Hockey uh, at Culture of Losing on Twitter on to preview the Isles game and talk everything Islanders in their 500 different arenas. It's a great episode. You're not going to want to miss it. As always, you can follow the podcast at LO underscore Canadians. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow me at Scott Matla. And you can find this podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.